Aren't we blessed people this morning? We live in a time of grace, a time like no other. This is the time um, that all the prophets look forward to, and we are privileged to be in this time. Um, we're going to read together from 1 John 3, verse 1 to 3 this morning. Um, you can follow me uh, in the Bible, you can follow me on tablets, phones, so you can listen, or even if you know it by memory, well done, great. Um, <laughs> so let's just pray together quickly. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your truth and your word. I praise you, we, we, we read together today that you reveal more of your love to us. That you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to receive, and a willing spirit to act accordingly. In Jesus' name, amen. So 1 John 3, verse 1 to 3. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we shall be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not been yet made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. There's four points that I want to highlight um, from this scripture. First, it's God's love for us. Second, it's our identity in that love. Third is how we see Jesus in that love. And fourth is what we're to do with that love. You see, the first three I feel we hear on a regular basis we hear in the privilege of what we have in communion, the love of God that he has for us. But I feel the fourth one is sometimes what we don't take into account in our personal lives. In 2005, the discovery of a mosaic floor near the Syrian border in Jordan shed light on the first church and the first disciples of Jesus Christ. Dated 33 AD to 70 AD, the mosaic found in the church described the members as the 70 beloved by God divine. The 70 beloved by God divine. Now, the reason I found this interesting is not the fact that it's more discoveries of Jesus and God's work in reality, but it was in reflection of how they saw themselves in the light of God's love. And it made me ask myself the question is, do I really see myself as beloved by God? See, we can get excited about the latest discoveries in science that back up the integrity of the scriptures, or we can get excited about hearing new prayer reports or seeing signs and wonders and miracles. But when it comes to, on a personal level, asking ourselves about God's love for us, or me in particular, I don't really understand it, because it seems a bit strange to me. See, we grew up in a world being shown many different things about love. We're shown things about love through past relationships and how people may have mistreated us, um, how we've been poorly managed through people's inability to love us properly, or we're shown different things about love through Hollywood and sitcoms, reality TV shows, and through excessive, lustful desires that are told love is a certain way. We're even told every Christmas or every birthday that love is showed through material gifts and we don't quite feel as valued or as loved if we don't get those gifts. My university tutor expressed a popularity in heartbreak because everybody could understand it 
heartbreaking music was so popular because everyone could resonate with being heartbroken at some point or another. Leaving the arms of a mother's unconditional love to find probably unrequited love in the world. A few months back I was reading um, something in the Old Testament and what I was reading jumped out to me and it stuck with me for a while. It was when Moses says, God, show me your glory. See, looking at a reflection of how Moses was praying at that point, it's easy to see what we need to do on a regular basis as humans to constantly reaffirm ourselves in the good things that God has given us, in the blessings we have, as opposed to sometimes how we feel. See, Moses is a, is a character in the Bible we know, one of the prophets who'd seen the oceans split and walk right through them. He'd picked up the snake and it turned back into a staff. He'd spoken to the burning bush. He'd seen the plagues come on Egypt. He'd been hand in all of those things and seen those things come about, but yet he's asking for God's glory as if what he'd already seen wasn't glorious enough. So I started to pray that prayer. I thought, great. I want what Moses wants right there. I want to be filled so much with God's glory that it changes me forever. So I started to pray that prayer. I was praying that prayer for a while. And as life goes on, you sort of leave it with God and you sort of just move on from it. But a few weeks after that, my mother came up to visit me and she lives quite far away. But every time she comes up, she seems to bless me with something. And this time she pulled five magazines out of her bag and said, pick one. So I picked one based on colour alone. And I didn't really think much about it. And I sort of put it down. And as you do, because I'm a busy person, most of the time I try and separate time to pray and go through this in my own time. Thinking really, you know, it's going to be a while before I get around to this. But I was cleaning my room not long after that. And I came across this little booklet again. And something just jumped out to me. And it said, on the front of that booklet, it said, Exodus 33, 18. God, show me your glory. And I thought, okay, I'm listening, God. You see, I had my own ideas of how I thought God was going to answer my prayer. I thought I was going to see some cloud of glory come from the sky, or I was going to see some mind-melting vision of uh, heaven where it would just change every part of my being continually. But when I opened the magazine to that page, you know what I found? It was a 30-day study on the redemptive love of Christ on the cross. You see, this is a message we hear so often. We hear about God's love. And in the privilege of us coming to church and fellowshipping together, sometimes, in some ways, it loses its power and gravity in our lives. Because God did show us his glory. God did show us his glory. The glory of God is that for God so loved the world, He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him might not perish but have eternal life. This is the glory of God. This is the love that he has lavished on us. This is the love that has pined for you and grieved for you, pursued you, left the 99 and gone after the one that was lost. This is the love of God that is not far away. We see in the Old Testament that expressions of God's love has just wanted to be with us. Whether it was in the tabernacle, whether it was by the pillar of fire at night or the cloud in the day, God has just wanted to be with us and show his love to us. A while ago, that I was sharing something with my friend and he sent me a few sermons from a guy called A.R. Bernard and there was something that stuck with me because, it, because I just found it funny. And it was, when he was getting married to his wife, he said, 
they came together and they had a list of conditions for each other they were going to meet to keep each other happy. And he said, 20 years later, I love my wife for no reason. So I'm, don't worry, I'm sure it's the same for the husbands. <laughs> I'm sure. Um, but that really stuck with me because it's the truth. We never meet the conditions to receive the love from God. We never have and we never will do. If our relationship isn't based on God's love for us and if it was based on our love for him, sadly, I think in reflection of my own, the relationship would have ended a long time ago. And today we have that love. This is the love that God lavished on us that would restore us to our image. That once understood can overflow from us like rivers of living water. That once grasped, we can understand and rest on that love as the foundation of the rock that we stand on. This is the love of God that he has for us, for you, that called us children of God for no reason. This unconditional love is there for you. And I pray today that we all understand that and know that a little bit more in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, Gareth, for sharing with us so well this morning. Really, really appreciate that. So much to take in. Get the CD, go on the podcast when it arrives on the website. Let God speak to you about what you have heard this morning as you continue to contemplate what you've heard. This morning, we also have Nicole who's going to come and share with us. So would you please welcome Nicole? Thanks, Nicole. morning church please turn your bibles with me to romans 5 i'm going to be reading verses 1 to 11 from the new living translation version therefore since we have been made right in god's sight by faith we have peace with god because what jesus christ our lord has done for us because of our faith Christ has brought us into the place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us. Because he gave us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. When we were utterly hopeless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though... Someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored through the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved 
through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Today I'm going to talk to you about God's love in our time of suffering. As I was reading that scripture, I noticed a few things occurring with God, such as made right with God, have peace with God, share glory with God, suffer with God, filled with the love of God and a new friendship with God. And all of those sound amazing, except the part about suffering with God. But Romans 8:17 tells us that if we are to share in his glory, we must also share in his suffering, but that the glory we'll receive will vastly outweigh the pain we experience. That's slightly more palatable. But the writer goes even further to say that we must rejoice in our suffering. How do you do that? Because suffering often brings out emotions like anger, frustration, resentment, disappointment. Rejoice and suffering doesn't naturally go hand in hand. And love and suffering doesn't need to make sense. But Christianity can be a bit like that. It doesn't always make sense naturally, like Christ dying for us whilst we were still his enemies. Who would want to die for their enemies? I can honestly say that I would not jump at the chance. But the scriptures tell us clearly that Christ suffered and died for us because he loved us. Pure and simple, because he loved us. And there are people here today, sitting in your seats, who are suffering emotionally, mentally, physically, with illness, injustice, abuse, or even addiction. And you may well be questioning God's love for you at this time. But God wants you to know that he hears, that he sees, and that he does love you. I want to take you on a journey through the Bible and go to three stories which demonstrate God's love for you during a time of suffering. In Genesis 21, there's the story of Hagar. And Hagar is the concubine of Abraham. And they have a child called Ishmael. And some while later, Abraham and his wife have a child. And there is conflict between the two stepbrothers. So Sarah demands that Abraham send his concubine and the child away. And Abraham is torn. And so he goes to God and God says, listen to your wife. So Hagar is sent away with water and food. And as she wanders the wilderness, the water soon runs out. And Ishmael is becoming seriously dehydrated. She thinks he is going to die. So she sets him aside and cries. But God sends an angel to comfort them. And he promises that Ishmael will father a large nation. And then she opens her eyes and she sees a well full of water. The name Ishmael means God hears. And in their time of hopelessness and rejection, God heard their cries. And he not only met their immediate need of water, but he gave them a hope and a promise for the future. That's love in suffering. 
Then there's the story of Naomi. Now in Ruth, the book of Ruth, Naomi is an elderly woman and she has just lost her husband and her only two sons whilst living in a foreign land. One of her daughter-in-laws decides she's going to return to her family. But the other, Ruth, decides she will be loyal and stay by Naomi's side. So the two widows return to Naomi's homeland. But there, Naomi tells her people, do not call me Naomi any longer. Call me Mara, for the Lord has made my life bitter and he has caused me to suffer. He has raised his fist against me. She was hopeless. But some while later, she becomes hopeful about finding Ruth, another husband. And with her help, Ruth ends up marrying a man named Boaz. And the couple have a child that Naomi cares for and loves as if it were her very own son. Though she had lost all, she regained a protector, a provider, and a family. Everything that had been taken away from her was given back to her in a different way. That's love in suffering. And we can end with Jesus in Gethsemane. Matthew 26 tells us, Jesus, knowing his upcoming crucifixion, prays, my soul is crushed with grief. If it is possible, please take this cup of suffering from me. But we know that God did not take it away. And we know that he suffered terribly. But we also know that God did love him. Luke 3:22 tells us, the father says to Jesus, you are my dearly beloved son and you bring me great joy. And in John 59, Jesus says, I have loved you even as the father has loved me. It was all so that we could be made with friends with God. It's love in suffering. And suffering is hard. It is hard. But if we trust in God, it will not be in vain. It tests our character. And when our character is refined, it produces hope. It is not in vain. Our suffering, your suffering, will not last forever. Remember, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time. At just the right time. But if suffering is inevitable, then I go back to my original question, which is how do we rejoice in suffering? Well, the scripture said that we are given the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. But Romans also says that he is also the source of hope and joy. So you see, in suffering, God is with us, loves us, refines us, and empowers us through the power of the Holy Spirit given to us so that we can have hope and joy even in the midst of our trials. The key is to suffer with God, not apart from him. To those of you who are going through a tough time and have been asking, does God really love me? I hope Romans 8:35 onwards encourages you. It reads, Can anything separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble, 
or calamity, or are persecuted, hungry, or destitute, or in danger or threatened with death. No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. I am convinced that nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Be encouraged, church. He sees, he hears, and he does love you. I'd like to end just by praying. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit. For each heart knows its own pain. And you know everybody's situation. But we know that you do love us. And we know that we will not suffer forever. We know that we have a good God. And that you know what it's like to suffer. And that you know what it's like to have glory. And we will have glory. We will share your glory one day. But even on this earth, God, we will not suffer forever. Father, I pray that we truly know what it is to feel and understand the depths of your love. And your love will become a firm foundation in our hearts that when the storms come, we are not withered and pushed aside. That we stand on the love of God that you have given to us, that resides in us and empowers us. Father, I pray we truly know what it is to understand and to feel the depths of your love. For you do love us. In Jesus' name, amen. Brilliant. Thank you very much, both of you. I want to read some verses again from the scriptures from Ephesians chapter 3. Very, very well known if you're a Christian here. Paul's prayer Paul's prayer inspired by God the Holy Spirit. Paul and God's heart for you and for me. So Paul says in Ephesians 3 from 14, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his great power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Gareth and Nicole have shared from two wonderful passages of scripture that tell us of the love of God for us. 1 John chapter 3, Romans chapter 5, two great chapters that are amongst so many places in this wonderful book, the Bible, which is God's love story to a broken and hurting world. 
we live in a country that in some respects is a broken and hurting country. Parts of our social fabric are broken. Seems like our politics is broken. We wonder who we can turn to and who we can trust, and we all feel that. And because we live in a world of struggle and of challenge, a world in which we are constantly aware of the bad things that are happening, sometimes the love of God can seem theoretical to us, or it can seem distant to us, or it can seem that people who experience God's love are people who are particularly holy or must be more godly than we are. And we believe that because fundamentally we have a default situation is that we believe that God's love is earned. Everything else we have has been earned. The house we live in, the car we drive, the clothes we wear, and so much else that we have, it's been earned. And so we put God's love in the same category. But the passages that we've heard from Scripture this morning, read and shared so wonderfully by Gareth and Nicole, tell us exactly the opposite. God's love cannot be earned. We need to understand that in this passage, this wonderful letter to the church at Ephesus in chapter 3 and right the way through the letter, there are some really key verses. And the key verse, the cornerstone, foundational verse of Ephesians, is found in chapter 2 and verse 6. And it tells us this, I'll explain in a moment, that God has raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. Why is God, why is Jesus written about as having seated, been sitting down? Let me explain. We need to understand that Christ is described as seated in the heavenly realms because to sit down means he had completed the work that was necessary for our salvation. That's why he's sitting down. The work that was necessary on the cross and through bursting out of that locked tomb, that work has been completed for us. Now Christ sits down and through faith in him, we sit with him in the heavenly realms. Christ has done the work. And I pray today, along with Nicole and Gareth, that you will grasp that through the work of the Holy Spirit, that all you need to do to be forgiven is to thank God for Jesus. Ask him to forgive you. Invite him to be the Lord of your life and follow him for the rest of your days. And so in this passage of Ephesians 3, Paul wants us to be strengthened. In verse 19, he says that we might understand this love that surpasses complete knowledge. But he prays that we'll be given power to understand how wide and long and high and deep is the love of God in Christ Jesus. Francis Fuchs wrote a commentary on this book many years ago, and he sums up what Paul is saying in this way. He says, Paul says, the definite goal to which the Christian life must move and for which the apostle prays is for his readers to know the love of Christ. I pray this morning that we will love the, know the love of Christ in increasing measure in our lives. See, God's love is shown to us in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And I want to say to you, friends, this morning, from the bottom of my heart, the love of God is the only eternally safe foundation for you to build your life on. 
It's the only thing that's going to last forever. The love of God is your identity. The love of God is, make, is what makes us who we are. Sheridan Voicey, the journalist who I quoted a couple of weeks ago, says, until I learn to live in this reality and let this love define me, I will forever seek my worth in lesser things. And we know that's true. We look across our society, we see people seeking their worth in alcohol or in finance or in casual sexual relationships or in the status that they have within the society, the clothes they wear or the car that they drive. In the pitiful, and I mean that sincerely in the real sense of the word, the pitiful celebrity culture that we have in this country in which we watch people who have very little in the way of skill and ability rise to prominence in our various media and then we watch as they burn out and fall back to earth again. And we'll pursue those things if we don't know the reason why we were made, which is to know and experience the love of this creator God. So how can this love of God be our experience? Paul gives us insight in verses 16 and 17. He says that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Christian life, it's the constant teaching of the New Testament that Christian life comes through the personal indwelling of the Holy Spirit in a believer. Paul's not talking about two separate things. He's not talking about the indwelling of Christ and the indwelling of the Spirit as if they're different things. They are one and the same thing. In fact, to experience the Spirit is to experience the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. Some people almost separate the work of the Spirit from the work of the Lord Jesus. If we do that, we're in danger of losing the central point of being a Christian, which is this, faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ. But as we meditate on scripture, as we worship, as we pray, as we seek God, the spirit is able to intensify the presence of Jesus in our lives and also to make the love of God real and clear to us all. And that's why Paul is able to encourage us in verse 20 of our reading with these words, because we sometimes think it's difficult for us to learn to love God, but we're not on our own in this. Paul says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine, according to his great power that is at work in us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever. Amen. We are not alone. We need and we have the inner working of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and lives to enable us to begin to grasp the enormity of the love of God expressed for us on the cross. Romans chapter 5. Thank you. 1 John chapter 3. Thank you. We could have chosen any number of verses to share with you today. Psalm 103, verse 10. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love. Ephesians 1 verses 4 and 5 tells us that it was in love he predestined us. Lamentations 3 tells us that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. It never ceases. Friend, God loves you. God loves you. Calvary proves it. The broken tomb proves it. The risen Christ 
proves it. The day that you met him for yourself and gave your life to him, it proves it. He loves you. Larry Norman was a Christian singer and songwriter in the 1970s. Some of you will have never heard of him. It's because you're ignorant, not because I'm old. (laughs) He wrote a song called A Song for a Small Circle of Friends. Small circle of friends included Eric Clapton, Paul McCartney. I ask a serious question this morning that I ask you. I wonder where Paul McCartney stands with Christ. I wonder where Eric Clapton, that superb guitarist whose CDs I have at home, I wonder where he stands with Christ. We've got a lot else in the world. The Bible says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he loses his own soul? Where do they stand with Christ? Where do you stand with Christ this morning? The words of Larry Norman's song go like this. And someone died for you, my friends, but better yet he lives again. And if this song does not make sense to you, I hope his spirit slips on through. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. And if these words do not appeal to you, I hope his spirit slips on through. He loves you. He loves you. And if this song does not make sense to you, I hope his spirit slips on through. He loves you. This is the message of the cross. This is the message of Easter for us last week and Easter for Eritreans and Ethiopians and others this week. This is the message that we face every Sunday because every Sunday is Easter day for those who know the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because he loves us and gave himself for us. So with Paul, we pray the words of Ephesians chapter 3. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And that you being rooted and established in love. May have power together with all the Lord's holy people. To grasp how long and how wide and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know that love that surpasses all knowledge. That you might be filled to all the measure of the fullness of God. Friends, it won't just happen. We need to partner with the Holy Spirit to enable what we've heard this morning. I want to encourage you. Look at 1 John chapter 3. Read it. Make it a prayer during the course of the coming months. Not just a few days, but but let's get it deep into our spirits. Look at Romans 5. Here is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. Wonderful. Get these words deep into our spirit. Let them be in us. These words of Ephesians 3, this great prayer. God, I want to know your love because I want to love you back and I want to love the world in which you've placed us. So make Paul's prayer your prayer. Read it, pray it, sing it, meditate on it, love it. And as we continue to do so, may God make our lives truly built on his love, shown clearly to us, In Jesus. Amen.